0: Hello, and welcome to the Mind Your Leadership Podcast. I'm Karen Tsuk, and today I will speak with Elizabeth Cardillo. Elizabeth is the founder of Brave Conversations over Coffee and Cafe Pneumatic. She's helping teams use coffee and conversation as a way to increase trust, inclusion, and performance. Today we will speak about showing up and daring to be present and leading brave conversation. So stay with us. Elizabeth, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for joining. You have a coffee company and you also blend it with Brave Conversations. And I really like it, you know, because it blends what I love, coffee and meeting people and a Brave Conversation. I think it's a great thing needed nowadays. And so I'll be happy to hear your path, your journey. How did you make this coffee company and why did you decide to blend it with Brave Conversations?
1: Absolutely. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. So I think you and I are also very similar in that we're slightly obsessed with neuroscience. So we're we're total dorks when it comes down to it. But I mean, I, I started my coffee company. It's a sort of a crazy story. If you want the whole story, you can um there's actually a documentary oh, yeah. on Netflix that if you want to watch the whole story about the coffee company, it's really sweet. It's called Coffee for All. Um and the, and the theme is that coffee connects humanity. And that's really at the foundation of what I believe as well. And So after having a coffee company for 10 years, I I started after losing my dad. And so I was in the middle of a lot of work on resilience and figuring out who I was and asking all the hard questions. And it was interesting. I gave his eulogy and then did this weird thing where I then wrote my own and realized that I was just not on a path toward anything that I wanted to be. And what came out of that was there was something about communication and people and inspiring people to have the conversations they're not having. And I had no idea what that meant, but it was something around, like, asking bigger, better questions. And it's something we're scared to do and we don't do very often, unfortunately. And that's always the kind of thing that I do with people or love, or, I mean, I'm, I'm the New Yorker that I'll know everything about a taxi driver's life. Like there was, there was a taxi driver that literally I made cry. I didn't make cry, but like he shed tears because he was like, we're having this conversation. How are we doing this? So that's just part of it is just who I am. And part of it is what I studied. Um, But the interesting part about coffee is that, I mean, we're from two different countries. We both understand coffee, right? Like, It's this thing that doesn't need language. It's this thing that it's this like really beautiful talisman for connection anywhere in the world. Like you say coffee, people get it. It's like soccer or football. It's just this thing that we all understand. We don't need to explain it. And the cool part is that the conversations that we have over coffee are different right? They're different than the conversations that we have in boardrooms or in classrooms, or my, my joke is, or anywhere with fluorescent lighting, right? If there's fluorescent lighting, our conversations are kind of on the surface and not great.
0: Yeah.
1: But when coffee is involved, it's almost this invitation to open. And it's almost this invitation to connect and to connect in a, in a more authentic way. And I mean, if I'm being totally honest, which happy to be, <laughs> since I was a kid, I, my dad had heart problems and aortic aneurysms. And so since I was very, very young, I was always very aware of stress and the stress response and what that looks like when someone is, you know, not okay. And and I knew that the way I interacted with him changed him, physiologically changed mm-hmm. him. So I was always kind of obsessed with I listened this way and this happened, or I spoke this way and this happened. And I didn't know the science behind it. I didn't know the name of it. I, you know, I was nine, I, I was a little kid, mm-hmm. but it was always something that I was very aware of. And so now, what these brave conversations over coffee do is, well, other than the fact that they give people a platform to learn how to listen in a way that actually gets themselves and other people out of the stress response, they also help people just have the conversations that we're avoiding. And it, it gives people a way to start and have, I mean, the hardest part of hard conversations is starting them, right? Like you get the anxiety around like, what do I do? How do I do it? Are they going to say this? And then you replay it and you do all these, you know, unhealthy things that don't help, but we, so we give teams and companies as well as colleges um, and organizations a framework to, really start those conversations that can save a ton of time, save on the bottom line, save teams, save productivity. It's really cool.
0: Amazing. You know, when you talked, it resonated two stories within me. You talked about the fact that everybody loves coffee, right? And that it connects us all. I thought about love. Okay. that Also love connected. And it reminded me when my niece was born, I was going to travel to a trip in Nepal and then She didn't speak, you know, she only was born, she like was 10 years, one month, and she really opened my heart, and I wanted to come back and to see her, so I asked my sister to come with her to take me from the airport, and then I remember when I told my dad, he said, how do you love her so much? She even doesn't speak, so I told him, you know, for love, you don't need words, so the fact that, you know, love and coughing, the connection between people, it's much beyond the words, Right it's mm-hmm. the essence that creates the connection so mm-hmm. this is one thing and the other thing that you spoke also as I did within me you talked about being spontaneous there to show up and say what we think and feel and you know when i drive on my way to work i listen to a radio and there's a couple there that work together they're not a couple in life but they are partners but they talk so spontaneously and they're joking and flirting and I always enjoyed the conversation because you feel the authenticity. Although they are, you know, at the job and, and I really laugh on my way to work and say, wow, that's amazing. Usually we don't show up so spontaneously. We think what we are saying. We need to think
1: how we react to this fact that I say, right? What do you think about it? Yeah, I mean... So I also run a six week course for individuals and sometimes that's people, you know, inside of companies and they, you know, want to work on my leadership or it's, you know, or it's people that just want to do it personally. And what's interesting is that the first three weeks, it's six weeks. So the first three weeks, we totally focus on ourselves, on the way that we communicate with ourselves because we can't communicate well with others. If, you know, we're giving ourselves all the excuses or relying to ourselves, or we're telling ourselves all of the things that, that don't allow us to show up authentically and, We've got to do a bit of a fair amount of work before we can actually show up authentically with another person, too, because we have to get past the fact that I have to caretake and I have to make sure that I say the right thing at the perfect time. And, you know, like we hold other people hostage in conversation very, very often. And I use those terms because one of my so my dad was in intelligence in the US Army. Um, for a bit. And the way that he taught me to communicate actually followed the tenets of hostage negotiation. And, and then a mentor of mine completely randomly was a hostage negotiator for 40 years and one of the best in the industry. And he now teaches at IMD in Switzerland. And so the way that he talks about communication and the way that he says, if you're saying you must act a certain way for me to feel good, you're holding that person hostage, right? Because our we have needs and it's our responsibility to get those needs met and we can request that someone be present you know connect with us do whatever it is that we we would like but it's not that person's responsibility at the end of the day right it's not them it's us acknowledging i have this need right now and if you're not able to meet it that's okay that you need to do you but i'm going to go get it met right i'm going to go be in connection with someone i'm going to go hang out with people i'm going to go You know, do whatever it is for me. But it's interesting how unconscious we are about we hold ourselves hostage because we say we have to do things a certain way, or we hold someone else hostage saying, Well, if you don't show up in this way, then I'm going to withhold love, or then I'm going to be mad at you because you made me feel. And it's like the whole you made me feel is it's it's a lie because all we can do is request that someone be in connection with us, or we can request that our needs are met. But it's not up to the other person to meet our needs. We need to take radical self-responsibility. And so, yeah, I mean, I completely agree. There's, there's something that we need to get to in ourselves that actually makes us able to be that authentic and that open and just that free. As I see it,
0: I think people, I'm looking at myself first. yes, when I need the courage to speak my truth is to be able to be present and not think of the results, how the other person will react How it will resonate with him? Will he like it? Won't he like it? Will he be angry at me? You know, I think we first need to be self-confident in what we are bringing, what we are showing up, and without being attached to the results. How it will impact the other person? What do you think about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I it's I would probably word it a little bit differently in terms of yes, we need to have a certain amount of self-confidence, but we also do this thing where we tangle up our self-worth in well, if I'm right and you believe something different than me, then that must mean you're wrong. And mm-hmm. we do this thing where we put each other on different teams yeah. and then we're done for, right? And then there's there's no chance of getting to us if you're on one team and I'm on the other. And we do that because our ego just wants to feel safe and our ego just wants to say, well, I'm good, right? I, I, I'm a good person. But if you believe something different from me, that might mean you're bad, right? Like, And we do it to feel safe, but it's insane when- Actually, what we could be doing is saying, oh, wow, that's really interesting. I've never thought of that. And empathy, bringing empathy to something doesn't mean that I agree with you. It doesn't mean that I'm going to change my mind. Mm -hmm. It just means that I can honor whatever your why is. I can honor whatever your truth is just because it is not because of me. It's not about me. It's just about being able to stay confident in myself, even if you believe something different and both of those things being okay, right? Like both of those things potentially being true in our own worlds and being able to keep going and find peace in our difference. It's amazing
0: what you say, because I call it the presence paradox because you know, it's connected to what you say to the, to our ego, because when I come with my assumptions, I want to convince another person also hold my assumptions. But Mm -hmm. if I will dare to be present, maybe I will listen to him and and maybe really something will resonate within me and will change my perspective. And that's great. This is what being mindful and present, right? Because we're continuously changing. We're not the same person even a week ago. I'm not Mm -hmm. the same person as I am now. So the ability not to come from the ego and to come present and to show up and to listen and to see, open a space, you know, I call it the dialogue space, create a space in which people can be present without trying to convince each other and being more present with their experience, right? With what they're feeling about the situation, what they're thinking about the situation and see what emerges and not try to convince each other, but be together and see maybe which a new solution will emerge beyond you and me, right? So it would be something greater than
1: us. Yeah, I mean, when you say convince someone, that means that we're living with the belief that if we don't believe the same thing, it's not okay. Mm-hmm. And I think the best innovations, the best conversation, the best everything comes from when two people that understand or see the world differently can come together. That's when that's when earth shattering things get built. Right? Like that's when we change things. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting how uncomfortable we are, and how uncomfortable our ego is, really. With, well, you believe something different from me. Well, oh my God, then what? We have to. I have to convince you because if you don't agree with me. I would be wrong. I'll fail. I'll lose my job. I'll lose respect. And it's like we associate difference with loss. And it's it's really interesting to me, the hole we can dig ourselves into by believing that. And if we can just not even change the belief, just get curious and be in the unknown, like be in that space of unknown for just a little while with someone, what emerges? You said that you're working
0: with companies and leaders. So what do you do with them in order to enable them To be brave and have brave conversation, especially, you know, in the corporate world, it's much more difficult to create this space and to have this difficult conversation because you think about they don't like what you say and then you will be fired and, you know, so there's Mm -hmm. a lot of complication there. So how do you see this?
1: Yeah. So a couple of things. So, first, we do a series of conversations. This isn't like a, hey, I mean, I get a lot of, which is very sweet, but I get a lot of like, hey, will you come do a, you know, a motivational speech or a workshop or a one time thing? And Mm -hmm. I get it. And I'll do it now and then. But I always tell people this is a practice. Like when we learn how to have brave conversations, we're learning a new language of listening together. Mm -hmm. We're literally learning a language. So, doing it one time probably not going to be what really creates change. I'll do it so you can understand it and see how you feel in it. Fine. But that's not the thing that's going to create lasting change. You need to create these experiences and opportunities for leaders to model what this is and that they're learning and failing and still coming back and trying, right? So creating psychological safety doesn't happen with a workshop, right? So that's one piece. So it's a series. The second piece is that Everyone thinks, and I, and I love it. It's very, it's very wonderful. But when people say, oh my gosh, you're the Brene Brown of coffee, you're asking people to be vulnerable. And I say, oh, I love you. I love you. That's great. I love her. Fantastic. However, brave sounds like I'm asking you to be vulnerable completely. I'm not because I don't believe that you can. And I don't, I don't think she thinks this either, but I don't think you can ask anyone to be vulnerable because mm-hmm. what we're learning is all you can control is yourself. Right. all you can control all you can do is create the space with someone else or with your team that makes them feel comfortable enough to open up if they have something to share mm-hmm. if they want to, you might have you might show up once in that way and people share you might show up a hundred times and maybe they won't yet and that's fine that's there's no right or wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting when people think so brave is a framework and it's an acronym. So it means, you know, it, it walks us through a process together, um, but it actually refers to the way that we listen, not the way that we share. So the, when we, when we go through brave conversations where I'm facilitating a conversation and we're walking through the structure and framework together so that we create, I mean, it's, it's a way to practice, like to kind of work the muscle of learning this new language and the more repetitions we get, the better we get at it. And the more we can give it and receive it and really understand each other and just practice it, you start to essentially learn little phrases. And it's kind of like, I feel like oftentimes I give companies like safe words. So it's like, hey, whereas they wouldn't know how to start a hard conversation. Now they can say, hey, can we just, can you listen to, like, can we have a brave conversation Or can you just, can we like walk through Brave before we go into that room together? And it gives companies a way to kind of cut through the awkwardness of like, I mean, so often, like how many times have you seen, you know, a tech company and they're building a product, right? And someone just doesn't, they're not certain. They don't know. And they don't wanna tell someone they don't know because that could mean, oh my God, I think you're dumb. You're gonna get fired. But the interesting part is that if you can bring awareness to that and and share it and say, hey, I need to have a brave conversation. Let's let's sit down and and talk about this. You not only save time, but you save money. And the fact that you had the courage to bring this to someone's attention to me means I can trust you more to me means I want you on my team more because you're in this not for yourself but you're in this for the good of the product and the company and your team and you're not going to let anyone look bad right like you're going to take responsibility and you're going to essentially out yourself and say hey there's this thing I've been struggling with I'm not I'm failing at it can like can I have resources what do I need like and you're able to ask for your needs to be met Oh my God, I want that person on my team every day of the week, right? As opposed to the person that sweeps it under the rug and hides it and just, and is too afraid to say, ah, you know, I don't know. And so often at companies, people are just afraid to not know. So, and I mean, they're afraid to fail and, you know, there are some startups where failure is celebrated, but it's interesting when you then talk to teams, is it, do you have conversations about failure or when you come to meetings, is it what went really well, which is great. We want to celebrate those things, but to give people an easy way to start a difficult conversation mm-hmm. is almost like giving them a cheat code, which I mean, for that, yes, cheat codes all day long. Like let's have the conversations that we're not having. because so It's
0: amazing because you say that you create for them the language and you give them the legitimization to start this conversation. You know, you give them a bridge actually, because they, okay, uh, Elizabeth told us that we can have a, a brave conversation. So let's, do it. So you really had them by using the language to be present in this place. So this is the first thing I see and that's amazing. The second thing I you t- say, and I really agree with you. As I see it today, the crucial ability of leaders nowadays and as individuals is to be able to be in the unknown. We don't like to be the right as leaders. We taught that we need to have the answers to know what to do, but we can't know it by ourselves nowadays. There's the so much change in reality, complexity. We need to sometimes be there. And I like what you say, because at the end of the day, when companies are recruiting people, they recruit individuals because of their strengths, because of the, the unique viewpoint, what they bring to the table. But what's happened along the way, people getting scared to be present with who they are. They're starting to be like, you know, the story of the frog, listening to others and not listening to themselves. And they lose themselves in the organization, lose their added value. And then they can be fired versus the ability to have the courage to speak up, to show up and bring you added value, even if people don't agree with you. But the, the long term, you bring you added value and you're present to the company, right? So it's like paradox because when you are more present and showing fully and having brave conversation, you actually help the company, but people are so scared to do it. So the end of the day, they lose their job because they didn't bring their value, and the company lost them. Do you have a story that have been in a brave conversation, or that you facilitated a brave conversation, and what happened there? We could
1: we could talk about this for days. <laughs> um, so, in 2019, I committed to having at least one brave conversation every week. I had way more than that. You're brave. Uh, And let me tell you when you do this a lot. Oh my God. (laughs) So yes, I have a ton of, so we can, we can do a whole nother podcast with more stories. Which one do I want to share with you? So maybe you heard of, uh, I think this was also in 2019. So our very first brave conversation was we brought together survivors of nine 11 first responders, the Muslim community and students. And what we were going for was we just we want to bring people that maybe believe different things and maybe don't together around a table and show how our humanness is really at the core. Like we all actually need and want the same things. They just Mm -hmm. look different based on our experiences. And so that one was fascinating. I think I think the interesting another interesting one was maybe you heard of the Kavanaugh trial. There, There was someone who was going to be put on the Supreme Court here in the U.S., and there were stories around, you know, did he rape a woman? Did he not? And all of, all of these things. And the woman was being discredited. Some people believed her, some people didn't. It was, it was a train wreck. It was a complete train wreck. So we brought together women on both sides of the trial. Were women that believed the complete opposites. And this, I think, really illustrates how a brave conversation changes things because the women, are, and they were all ethnicities, all ages, Totally different beliefs. Mm -hmm. And what we came to was, okay, well, what would happen, God forbid, if we were in this position? What would we want? Like, what would we need? And what we came to was, well, if we were this woman, we would have really wanted someone to confide in because part of the problem was she didn't tell anyone for years. And Mm -hmm. that I mean, you and I know enough about trauma in the brain to know that that in itself is so unhealthy and just so hard. So the first thing we would want just from a loving oneself perspective is some, is a shoulder to cry on or someone to turn to, right? So we, we agreed on that. And then we came to, well, what, what would happen if God forbid this happened to a friend of ours or a family member of ours, what would we want for them? Mm-hmm. And what we all agreed on was, well, we'd want to be the person they turn wow. to, right? Like, How do I show up in people's lives as the person who is safe enough to share something that might sound crazy and Mm. really hard to hear and really hard to hold? How do I become that person? And the cool part was that it ended up not mattering what we believed. It ended up mattering who we wanted to be for the people in our life and how and we all left the best of friends completely on the same page because Right or wrong, or you know, good or bad, right or wrong. The the side, the team. Like we weren't on separate teams. We we got to be on the same team. And Mm. the even more interesting part was that this was, you know, this was assault at the hands of a man. Right? It was a bunch of women talking about something that happened. And the interesting part was that one of the women stopped and said, "Well, you know, this is hard for me because you know, here's what I believe. I believe these things, but you know, I've experienced assault." but at the hands of another woman. So imagine how we're assuming it looks like this. And what we came to was, oh my God, we don't know what it can look like. It can look like anything. Who knows what your experience is? So it doesn't matter, like right and wrong is just, it's a cop out. It's an easy way to choose sides and to look at something and say, well, I'm good and I'm right and you're bad and you're wrong. Whereas the harder work, the more important work is to say, hold on a minute who would I want to be for this person? Mm -hmm. And and move forward in your life that, because that's all you can change, right? That's all you can affect. So if you come away from these conversations thinking, wait a minute, if God forbid this or something else happened to me, who would I want to be for that person or for myself or what would I need? And Mm -hmm. then move forward in your life being that person. And I think that's a good illustration of what Brave Conversations does. It helps you realize who you are, who you want to be and how you can affect change when you have no control because you can change just if people feel safe or not when they're around you. And at the end of the day, that's one of the most important things that unfortunately we don't talk about and aren't taught in life.
0: Yes. I agree with that. What I heard from you that at the end of the day, when, when people are open with you, feel safe, as I see the most important thing to be not judgmental, to accept their experience and not to judge them and to tell them how they feel. So when you create this space of not judging them and really listening, and even if it's not your assumption, if your belief system is really different, then they will feel comfortable speaking with you. And again, something that resonated with me before, and you said it again, I think the most challenging part is to be present with other people and enabling ourselves to really listen and with open mind, but also with open heart and open will. And then it can be hard, it can touch your belief system and that you were managed by it all the years and now you you can reflect upon it and say, wow, it really doesn't work for me anymore. It doesn't. It's not realistic anymore for me. And to be able to let go of what you thought you are, this is can be a painful uh, conversation. And I'm saying it from my experience because I remember I had brave, difficult, you can call it, whatever you like, conversation with my spouse. And I remember a moment when I I really listened to him, to the values that are important for him beyond the solution that, you know, usually when we come to a conversation, we come without solution, right? And I need to bring my solution to the table and he wants to bring his solution. And then we fight a win-lose situation, right? What solution is the best? And then I told him, okay, let's pause. And I really want to hear what's important for you. What's the value that sits beneath this solution? Let's go deeper. And when I listened to his values and I understood the essence of what's important for him, it resonated within me and it made me understand that I need to let go of a belief system that managed me along the years. And it, it was really painful to let go of it because I needed to enable a new solution to emerge beyond what I think is right. And this is for me being in a brave uh, conversation, in a difficult conversation and daring to to be present and to show up with what emerges and to feel it and Mm -hmm. to really be open. As you said, curious and let the situation change us.
1: Oh, I love that. Let the situation change us. Yeah. I was going to say something that you said that really resonated was there's something that happens when we understand someone else's values or beliefs, and it it gets past the, the ego and the right and wrong, and my solution is best, and I win. And the the longer we spend trying to win something, the longer we spend out of connection. Um, but I, I mean, I can totally say the same thing. There's we hold on to these beliefs that we have or just patterns of the way that we handle things that happen, those things are trying to protect us from something that we might not need protection from anymore. Mm-hmm. And when we can be open enough to not just try and point a finger at someone, but to say, what can I do here? What what am I doing? Your values are such that the way that I just showed up was really hard for you. Interesting. I want to understand more. And then you can start to kind of look in the mirror and see, oh, wow, Mm -hmm. I'm doing something that's not useful for either of us because that protection, if I feel safe enough with you, I don't need that protection anymore. So maybe I can learn to show up a little bit differently. I mean, I'm learning the same thing too. It is, and it's interesting. I can say, and I'm sure you're the same. I can say I'm very good at these conversations. However, there are people in your life with whom they are still so hard. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think that's really important to note because this isn't, you don't practice it and, and now I know it. Now I'm good at it. Now I'm, now I win. I get the trophy. I get the medal and I'm done. Yeah. This is more like meditation. It's like, you're never going to win. There's nothing to win. You just need to practice it. And some days you're great at it. And sometimes you're awful and both are fine. And you just get to say, wow, can I have a do-over? <laughs> I'm yeah. pretty bad. It's not in my intent to show up. Can I try again? Just like outing yourself is the best thing you can do.
0: That's right. The ability to reflect upon and say, okay, I wasn't at my best now. I want to make it better. That's part of the process, I think. And another tool, it's to be able to speak our emotions. You know, I think it's a language that we need to nourish because we don't know to speak our emotion. Even we, a few of us doesn't, don't know what we feel. Okay. So this is the first process. But when we know what we feel... To dare to speak, you know, I'm, I feel frustrated right now. I feel eager. I feel passionate about it. Once I'm putting myself in my experience, in my emotions, it doesn't make antagonistic or the other side, right? Because people are open to listen because they can't argue with my experience, my feelings, and I, they don't feel threatened by my feelings, Mm-hmm. So I think this is a great tip to give people also to start a, a brave conversation by showing up with the emotion with your experience without expecting how the other side need to show up. So I wanted to hear from you, Elizabeth, we, before we wrap up, what what tips do you want to give our listeners that wants to start a brave conversation, can help them do it?
1: Yeah, I mean, oh gosh, there are so many. So what are, what are some quick and easy ones? Um, a really easy one. Well, so... There's the brave framework, which would take too long to walk through, but some really easy things are try not to start questions with why. The moment you ask someone why it's interesting. You, you put them on the defensive because think about it. If you're like, you think that, well, tell me, why do you think that? It's like, well, I feel like I have to defend myself now, as opposed to try this one on, you know, what is it about that? That's so important to you. Like, what is it about that? That hurts so much or that, you know, you feel so passionate about, tell me more, like you're bringing curiosity rather than antagonism. Um, And so that's one, that's just an easy one that I think just doing that differently. And you'll realize how many times you start with why, and there are times when it works, but there are often times when you're in a conversation like this, it's, it puts people on the other team. Something that's really simple that we just don't do is, so part of our framework is active listening and active listening is essentially turning your body toward the person, looking at them and listening to them with all of you. And so I always joke, you can listen with your eyebrows if you think about it, like you can, right? And it's something that when people can embody listening, like how do we normally listen? We're not listening. We're just waiting for our turn to talk. Mm -hmm. That's what we're usually doing. And especially if you're going around a circle, and you know that your your turn comes in, you know, three times, you did not hear the two to three people that go before you. You didn't hear a word, like, right? And it's funny, I say this, and people are like, "Oh my God, she knows me. Like she she was a fly on the wall in our boardroom." It's like, no, but that's what we do, and I get it. But the problem is that when we're so, also when we're not looking at people. Our brain, so the the brain face connection is so strong that we don't, we're not even aware mm-hmm. of what we pick up from other people when we're looking at their face. Mm-hmm. And we can see, I mean, if we're not looking at someone's face, we lose so many moments of connection. Like if, if sadness or fear flies across your face, it's a microsecond, but we can pick up on it if we're looking. But so often we're scrolling, we're typing, we're looking at something else and we're we're really not present with the person and when that happens i mean our social engagement systems are completely based on eye contact and looking at other faces so when we're when people aren't looking at us the internal dialogue that might be conscious and might not be conscious is i'm not important I'm not heard i'm not seen I'm, i don't exist and what i have to say doesn't really matter to them and so often we don't mean that we don't intend to be able to think that we're just busy. Right. Mm -hmm. And the problem with busy in conversation is you can't multitask when you're in conversation, when you're Mm -hmm. especially in an intense one or an important one, because you miss the moment to say, wait a minute, something's happened. Are you okay? Do we wait? Let's, let's regroup. What happened there? What do you, like, is there something you need to tell me? And I mean, at home, of course, that's important, but also think about at work. I mean, if you're talking to your team and you see something fly across someone's face, that could be them trying to tell you or them feeling, I don't really know what I'm doing. And if you see that, you can take them aside and say, hey, what do you need? Like, how can I support you? And everything is fixed as opposed to, if you're too busy, you miss it, right? So I would say that, I mean, oh, a very easy tip. We can change people's physiological state by the way that we look at them. So if you're, yeah. So, I mean, we're, it's, it kind of is in combination with the last one, but the way that our eyes look at people changes us. So if you think about it, you can be looking at someone with a very analytical Mm -hmm. diagnostic gaze. And what does that mean to us? That means we're being judged. Yeah. And rejection is one of the worst things that humans can feel because it makes our brain freak out and say, oh my God, I'm going to be ostracized from the tribe. Our brain is prehistoric. So I'm going to be eaten by a wild animal. So rejection means death. Our brain thinks that rejection means death. And so many things happen that just shut us down from doing good work or connection or creativity or problem solving. Like our brain just shuts down. Like we lose IQ points when we're rejected, literally Um, for a little while, not forever, obviously. But what's interesting is that if you just, if you just look at someone with, a more open or accepting or supportive gaze, just, just soften your eyes and be aware of softening your eyes and looking at someone in a way that's just accepting. You could get them out of stress or at least you won't put them into stress because when you look at someone and you're like analyzing them, mm-hmm. they feel that immediately. And they're like, oh my God, they're they're on the defensive immediately. So really, really, really simple things that don't take too much practice, even just a, like put a post-it on your computer, like soft eyes, uh-huh. you know, and it could literally change the kinds of conversations you have.
0: Awesome. You gave a few great tips and really practical that you can start tomorrow morning when you want to start being present and having a brave conversation. Elizabeth, thank you very much for being with us. If people want to contact you or follow you again, they reach you.
1: They can find me. Well, they can go to braveconversationsovercoffee.com. That's a very easy place to find me. Um, They can also find me at Cafe Unimatic and that's cafe, like the Italian word for coffee. So C-A-F-F-E. And then Unimatic is U-N-I-M-A-T-I-C. And that's at Instagram, cafeunimatic.com, anywhere. I'm very easy to find. If you look for me, (laughs) you can pretty much spell out Elizabeth spelled with an S and the word coffee, and you'll find me somehow. There very, so well. very easy to find, and I'd love to hear from you. Thank you very much for being with us. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor.
0: This was Elizabeth Cardillo. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new episode and to follow us on social media. Thank you for listening and. Till the next episode, take care and bye bye.